Today, we've got another one of those unsexy episodes where it's not about product launch or PPC or things that are super fun to talk about. However, things like how to do an importer of record, VAT, custom compliance are just as important, if not more, for your Amazon business. So today, we're going to talk to an expert on these things. How cool is that? Pretty cool, I think. As FBA business owners, we've put thousands of hours of hard work into growing our businesses. But what happens when you've grown the business as much as you can and don't have the time or resources to take it to that next level? Enter Thrasio. Thrasio has acquired over 125 Amazon businesses from owners just like you. With more than 600 experts at the top of their field in brand management, growth marketing, creative, and supply chain, Thrasio's operating team can grow your business exponentially. Once you've sold your business, simply celebrate a lucrative exit and watch your personal wealth grow while your brand flourishes in Thrasio's portfolio. To connect with Thrasio's deal team, visit thrasio.com slash helium10. That's T-H-R-A-S-I-O dot com slash helium10 for more information on if your brand is a good fit for Thrasio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Serious Sellers Podcast by Helium 10. I am your host, Bradley Sutton, and this is the show that's a completely BS-free, unscripted, and unrehearsed organic conversation about serious strategies for serious sellers of any level in the Amazon or Walmart or e-commerce world. And uh, for those watching uh, on YouTube, this is a significant episode, guys. This is my first episode with my new studio uh, here I'm doing where I kind of copied the tequila room from our Helium 10 office, and now I have it at my house, and still not completely finished. We've got some tequila here, so you guys can can see how much I'm drinking. If you look at the bottles, and all of a sudden they start going down uh, episode after episode, it means I've been uh, dipping into the the bottles a little bit here, but this is my first episode in my brand new Serious Sellers podcast studio. I've been working a lot uh, on this. We'll give you guys a reveal on that, but anyways, uh, uh, we're not here to, to, to do a a reveal on my office. We're, we're here to interview somebody with some serious strategies. So we've got uh, Rael here from Z. Uh, Rael, how's it going? Hey, Brad, and uh, thanks for having us. I'm really excited that it's uh, the first episode in your new studio. I can actually see it uh, as we're speaking. It looks awesome. Um, and I'm excited for the listeners to to get a little bit of insight into it when you do the the big reveal. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, we, we got some crazy things like uh, in this office, like secret doors and, and everything. I can't wait to show you guys what I've been working on. But um, you're, you're coming at us uh, from uh, South Africa, if I'm not mistaken, right? Correct. Our, uh, our head office is based in Johannesburg. Our founders are here. Um, but uh, we, you know, we do have a global presence of about 50 offices around the world, uh, which kind of allows us to, to offer the services that we do. Uh, is, is, um, this is South Africa where you were born and raised? Correct. I was born and raised in Johannesburg. I, I still live here. Uh, South Africa is a, a beautiful, beautiful country. Uh, you know, if you've got listeners from all over the world, highly recommend to come in, and come and visit. There's amazing tourist things to do: beaches, uh, safaris, uh, scuba diving. Uh, we really have the best, best wine and restaurants. So, really, a, a big advert for South Africa. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah. If you, if you guys ever find yourself here, please reach out. I'll, 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 I'll try and uh, show you around. Yeah, little known fact. That's actually my favorite English accent in the world is a South African, uh, uh, accent. So, uh, and then of course, you know, mo most of us Americans, the only, 
the the idea of South Africa to us is uh, what, what was that movie with Adam Sandler? Blended, or uh, I think it was. That was that was one yes. of my favorite movies. But yeah, ever since I watched, I was like, oh yeah, I, I gotta go. I gotta go visit now. You know, you're growing up in South Africa. What's what's a typical thing that you know when you're younger that you want to do when you grow up? So look, it, I guess it depends. Um, I, I was brought up in a family of, of stockbrokers and, and finance people. So, my, you know, my exposure to that type of industry was uh, from a very young age, from, you know, dinner table discussions about stocks, the market, etc. Mm-hmm. So I, I pursued a career in or, or studies at least to be a chartered accountant. Um, and I spent uh, uh, three years at an investment bank, you know, doing analysis for, for debt and equity. Uh, and then realized I had a, a passion for sales. Uh, and that's really why I landed up now where, where I'm at. Okay. So wh- what was the transition like, you know, getting out of what you studied for university and now you're like maybe going to go into something something different? Uh, what, what attracted you to, to that? I, I wanted, you know, I, I worked in a big corporate. Uh, I worked, uh, you know, for some time in the UK as well. It was a corporate bank uh, that was started in South Africa, but that has uh, offices around the world. And, uh, you know, being in corporate obviously has its benefits. I learned uh, an incredible amount, but I was actually quite keen to get my hands involved in something a little bit more commercial, um, you know, be on the business side of things rather than the financing side of things. I, I got exposure to a really a wide variety of different uh, companies out there. And, uh, yeah, I wanted to see what it was like actually being management as opposed to, um, you know, just doing the analysis on financials and trying to put together credit packs and, and investment packs. Okay, cool. Now, uh, I, I brought you on because, you know, this is, you know, no, no offense to your company, but th- this is kind of like one of the unsexy parts of Amazon. You know, like people like to to, to think about the sexy parts like, ooh, how are you going to do your PPC and, and, and product research and launch and, and where are some keyword hacks? But when it comes down to it, th- there's important things that you can have that all down. But then if, if you screw up with with your compliance or importing and things like that, you <laughs> You could maybe never get your product even even into the Amazon you know warehouse if you don't have your your ducks in a row. So, uh, you guys specialize in a lot of international things. I don't know too much about what you guys do, but that's why I wanted to kind of uh, find out here about your expertise here and and help uh, and help set things up. So, so what, one of the one of the things I wanted to kind of talk about first of all was how every you know every every different country for Amazon where Amazon has a a, a presence in. There, there's different rules and regulations. And, and so I just want to kind of go to some of the countries that I'm not as familiar with or I haven't you know, been been following up on as much. And, and then we'll just go country by country a little bit and you can give us you know, some of your insights about, about importing and, and what is required. So the first country I wanted to talk about was Amazon Japan because that's one of the more unique ones in my experience out there. So look, I, I interviewed somebody maybe two years ago and I don't remember what I did two weeks ago, let alone two years ago. So I one thing that kind of sticks out in my mind is, is if you want to, you know, if you're not based in Japan and you want to sell on Amazon Japan, you have to have like a, is it an importer of record or you have to have like somebody local that is tied to your account or, or can you talk about what is required to, whether you're in Europe or whether in USA and you want to start selling in Amazon Japan? Sure. So I think. Uh, you know, by virtue of being uh, an Amazon FBA seller, uh, and your sellers will know this, they remain the owner of the inventory uh, all the way until it reaches an Amazon fulfillment center. Now, if they want to sell goods in a country where they aren't located, they become a foreign importer in that country, meaning they are importing into a country where they are not physically located. By virtue of that, 
they require a local business. Uh, it's a legal requirement to have a local business with directors and employees in the destination country be listed on the customs documentation on their behalf to take on certain customs responsibilities and liabilities. Um, to give you the bigger picture, you know, a country like Japan or the US or Germany, wherever it might be, they have literally millions and millions of people or businesses trying to get products into their countries. And local customs officers, instead of trying to chase people based in the US and China and Asia and all over the world for any unpaid duties and taxes or if the goods are non-compliant or et cetera, you know, you know this, there can be various problems with the imports. They want a local business taking on that responsibility so that if anything goes wrong, uh, they can speak to a local business in the local language and hold that local business legally accountable for, for certain uh, com uh, compliance requirements. So this could be an existing local business or it has to be you have to be the owner of it as in this foreign entity or, or like if it was me, I would have to start a local business or it's an existing bit one over there. Uh, as an acting as an importer of record, uh, as a third party importer of record, it would be a different business that's located there. Um, alternatively, you know, if you wanted to set up your own business and have a physical location and hire employees and have directors, yes, I mean, that's a possible option. Many people opt out for, uh, out of that because of how administrative and how costly it is. Uh, so, you know, we have a global presence of offices all, all over the world in all of Amazon's major marketplaces. And essentially, we are allowing sellers to leverage off that global infrastructure to help them import into those countries. Okay. So, so like multiple different companies, Amazon companies can use the same importer of record or, or that same, you know, home company. Ah, okay. That's it. That, that's good to know. Now, um, Correct. are there any kind of special taxes or, or, you know, you know, like obviously there's, there's VAT in, in Europe and we're definitely going to talk about that in a little bit, but, but something we need to know if we're importing uh, to Japan or selling in Japan, like, are we having to pay any extra taxes as, as foreigners? Yeah, so I think let, let's deal with Japan. I think that's a, that's a good idea. So uh, the first thing in getting set up to, to sell in Japan is what is known as an ACP registration. Uh, and basically what that is, is it, it's a, a local import number that's assigned to the foreign importer. So it just gives the local customs office an identification method for the foreign importer. So that's step number one. Step number two is getting the importer of record to be listed on the customs documentation, which is obviously the service that we provide. And then when it comes to duties and taxes, there's really going to be two, two things that apply. One is called JCT, Japanese Consumption Tax. It's the equivalent of what German VAT or European VAT is like. Uh, it works, you know, there's certain nuances, it works slightly differently. We can get into that detail if you'd like. And then uh, the second uh, sort of uh, duties or taxes that you'll see are the non-refundable duties based on the type of product that's actually being uh, imported into that country. And then am I having to create some kind of entity in order to pay these or, you know, like, you know, like uh, you have to, you know, have your own VAT accounts and, and numbers and, and things like that, tax IDs or something like that. Or is that all handled by the, you know, that importer of record? So there's there's two two parts to this. In terms of the payment of duties and taxes, once a shipment arrives in the country, the importer of record will pay over those duties and taxes to the local government. Uh, when a client is going to be registered for JCT in Japan, they will have an agent that registers them and then also does the ongoing filings that are necessary to re basically report to the government, hey, these are my sales, these are my imports, this is the net amount that I owe you. Um, so that, and that's sort of kept separate to the importer of record. Okay. 
And and can is there a thing as like you know kind of like DDP shipping you know like in America like me personally I just have my my sourcing agent handle everything you know they handle the the shipping and everything I I just pay them I don't have to pay any extra taxes I don't have to clear customs uh, you know I just pay her one amount and she gets the product to to Amazon or to to my warehouse is that also possible in Japan or there there still is a, a an extra step that you can't really handle at the point of origin. No, so, so with an import of record, you can make your shipments DDP. Uh, without one, your shipment will get stuck at customs mm-hmm. and customs will ask you for your import of record. So mm-hmm. you, the only way you can really have a delivery duties paid shipment is if you have an import of record uh, in Japan and actually in most of, of Amazon's major marketplaces, the U.S. included, uh, if, if you're not based there. Okay. And now... Um I, you know, I used to live in Japan when I was young. Uh, I'm familiar with the culture and all, but you know, not necessarily much on the uh, the business side or or the the kind of buyer side. So I know you know Japanese people like a lot made in USA. You know, I know they like their own local products. But but are you seeing people have success like you know some of your clients or, or something you know importing from either India or China and and are, you know are are made in China and made in India or made in Vietnam products, uh, do they have any kind of success in Japan? So the, the, the answer to that is um, it depends how the, the, the seller uh, creates their listings, number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, generally, in, in a country like Japan, the, the listing needs to be in Japanese. Uh, Japanese consumers won't really mm-hmm. trust uh, listings that are, are made in English. Where the product is manufactured is, is less important than the actual quality of the product and the brand that's that's being uh, that's actually selling the product. So how well the brand markets themselves, how well the products are actually made is a better determinant than where the seller is based. Um, so look, you're right. Uh, Japanese sellers will, oh sorry, Japanese consumers will trust uh, US and European brands uh, perhaps more than they would uh, other other Asian countries, yeah. uh, and that's kind of just a, a reputation thing. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, it's based on this: how the seller markets their product, how they do their listings, how they package their products, what's the quality. Um, there's there's a lot of moving parts there. Okay, so 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 people do you know people can sell products import now. I you know uh, you, you well know of the issues of importing from from China to the USA and how what used to take you know, four weeks is taking like 10 to 12 weeks or even more sometimes. Now, uh, what's the transit time from like China to Japan? It's probably like almost nothing, right? Like like a week or two or? Yeah, yeah I'd say generally two weeks. Well, it depends. So if, if you're going with a container, uh, that'll be, you know, between two and four weeks. Just, you know, the shipments can be booked pretty soon. When the freight forwarder gets a place on a, on a, on a shipping line, that's really what creates the delay. Uh, and then the transit time, uh, again, will depend on, uh, or the delivery time, I suppose, will depend on how long that shipping line has to wait at the port before they can actually make the delivery. Um, but I would say two to four weeks is a, is a fair estimate. Uh, if it's going via air, obviously that that changes things. Uh, you know, that can be a transit time of two to four days. Okay, and then a fraction of the price it costs to go to Europe or United States, going from China to Japan, I imagine, right? As far as cost of shipping. Yes, just by virtue of the fact that it's much closer. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, good to know. Now, a- another marketplace I wanted to talk about, and uh, uh, it's one that I have zero experience on, but I know it's very hot these days, is 
is kind of like in the Middle East, uh, the you know, UAE, you know, uh, I think was one of the first ones in the Middle East. And now obviously there, there's Saudi Arabia um, and others, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Egypt, if I'm not, uh, I believe just launched. But for UAE, what um, say, same kind of questions, like what are some of the compliance things that, that Europeans or Americans need to know about if they're going to start selling on the UAE market? S similar to what I was asking you about Japan. Great. Uh, so, that, yeah, the, you're right. The UAE is definitely a hot market. Um, you know, the, the, the sort of dis disposable income per capita in the UAE is one of the highest, if not the highest in the world. So um, the potential for retail consumer spend is quite big. Uh, and that's really why uh, people are quite attracted to the market. Uh, the barriers to entry are a little bit higher than other countries. The reason being you need a VAT registration the same way you do in, in Germany or Europe or the UK. You need one in, in the UAE and, and providers out there generally the cost is quite high, especially for the registration as well as the ongoing filings. Uh, once that's in place, then the, the seller is set up to, to actually go and sell in, in uh, the UAE. They will also need an import of record. We have a presence there. We can you know, offer that service. And then when it comes to product compliance, again, that's going to really depend on the, on the type of product that the seller is trying to get in there. Um, and you know, we'll do the, the assessment to understand exactly what are the legal for sale and legal for import requirements and then uh, guide the seller uh, before we start importing for them. Okay, excellent. Um, what, how are things shipped to the UAE? Is, is it all, all by ocean as well or a train at all or anything like that? Uh, so, so because uh, sellers are generally new sellers in that market, Amazon's stock limitations um, you know, are more driven towards courier, smaller air freight shipments. Uh, just to get going, at least, you know, get get the stock in there, start turning the stock, increase your IPI score, and then so you know, so your limits increase. And then I would say second to that is is ocean freight. Okay, and, and for for both Japan and UAE, you know, the, the the clients that you help, you know, with shipping products and things like that. Um, what's the general mix as far as are people 100% sending everything directly to Amazon, or is it kind of like United States now, where a lot of them are sending to third party warehouses first? It's directly to Amazon. Okay. Um, and, and again, that, that has to do with just the, the seller's uh, stock limitations. And look, the, the, the 3PL um, sort of structures in those countries are not nearly as advanced as, as the EU and the US as well. So it, it's harder to find facilities that will drip feed Amazon. Um, but yeah, like I say, the, the majority of sellers that we're dealing with, it, it's going directly to FBA. Okay. So... So, um, they, you know, I think even in America now it's getting a little bit better, you know, where obviously the last two years was pretty crazy, like, uh, the, the kind of stock lim inventory limitations, but th there isn't as strict of inventory limitations, um, in these other countries uh, as it was in America, like last year. Um, so I, there's, I suppose there's two different things about inventory limitations. The one I'm referring to is, is generally when a seller is entering the market for the first time. Yeah. Um, and, and that's really who we're dealing with all the time because they're foreign importers. They're not based there. They haven't been there before. And, uh, you know, we're helping them get there in the first instance. So generally speaking, it, it, it takes a while to build up that inventory, that inventory limit. That's sort of different to what Amazon sort of placed those restrictions over that period of time. But that is definitely easing up. We're seeing that ease up all over the world. Okay. Okay. Good to know. Um, what about uh, Australia? Um, what are the limited... I, if I understand correctly, like there, 
maybe more limitations there than others as far as if you're a foreigner or like there, there's heavy taxes. I forget, somebody told me something where it's like, man, I can't even sell my product in Australia because I would have to jump through too much hoops or I'd have to pay too much tax to get in. Is, is that true or is it pretty much a similar situation as, as Japan and UAE? Um, so uh, in terms of the, the GST system, so again, GST stands for general sales tax. It's interchangeable with VAT and JCT. Uh, Australia has a, a GST system. Uh, upon import, that's 10% of the value of the goods plus the cost of freight of getting it there. Um, so that's maybe what uh, the seller that you were speaking to was referring to, because if they didn't have a registration in Australia, they wouldn't be able to reclaim that back. So that mm. would, you know, they'd have to pay that directly to, to the government. I'd say the thing that's the most strict about Australia is the product compliance requirements. Uh, I think some yeah. of your sellers may or may not have watched border security before. Uh, Australia are, are very strict when it comes to what enters their country. And uh, the seller really needs to make sure that their, their, their products are compliant with local laws and regulations. And again, obviously, then having a local importer, um, you know, being a second to, to the product compliance stuff. Okay. Um, have you re been receiving requests from some of these newer marketplaces? I mean, like Singapore has been around for uh, a little while now, but um, it, it was always very small. And, and like I said, now you know, Saudi Arabia is coming on and, and other, many other, you know, marketplaces for Amazon. Like what are some of the ones that you're, you're seeing the most demand or, or maybe the fastest, fastest growing? Um, I'd say in terms of the new markets, the, 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 the biggest interest we're seeing is Middle East, uh, UAE first, and then probably KSA or Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Um, second to Middle East is probably Japan and Australia. Um, you know, if, if you want to talk about marketplaces that aren't as new, but there is quite a lot of demand, it comes to the U.S. because uh, or not the U.S., the U.S. based sellers, because uh, U.S. based sellers can take part in what's called uh, uh, North American remote fulfillment, where Amazon will actually fulfill orders from the U.S. In directly to Canada or Mexico. But the, the caveat there is that they don't get access to Amazon's prime members, which are the biggest spenders on the platform, because Amazon can't uh, guarantee next day delivery. So with our services, we'll help the seller get their inventory direct to a, a, a warehouse in Canada to make sure that they can actually, uh, Amazon can guarantee next day delivery and they get access to Amazon's prime members. So, so let's say I'm importing to the United States, you know, 3,000 units or, or 3,000 units of my product. Um, is it better to, to send 2,500 to US, but then d direct from China, 500, the other 500 to Canada? Or should I send it all to the U.S. and then take a portion out and then send it to Amazon FBA uh, Canada? Uh, so that's going to really depend on your supply chain. So you know, and, and your demand in either country. Uh, on the assumption that there is the demand for the 500 units in Canada, it would definitely be better to import your goods directly from China to Canada. If you go through the U.S. and then go to Canada, you're going to pay duties twice. Mm. Uh, which is, is obviously not favorable to you because you're going to then make less profit on your goods. Um, so a direct import of 2500 to the U.S. and 500 to Canada uh, would make sense from a duties perspective, as well as uh, obviously getting access to the prime members, like I said earlier. OK, OK, that's that's good. To know. I didn't even realize that that it wasn't uh, it wasn't a prime prime listing when, when you're doing the North American um, fulfillment there. Um, okay, good to know. Now, um, you know, let's just take a step back and talk about some of these these abbreviations and, and things. You know, you, you already talked about like you know G, GST and, and VAT, and then 
what is the the E O R I and and any other like little uh, uh, acronyms or abbreviations that you can that you can uh, educate us on. Brilliant. Okay, so uh, like I say, like I said, VAT, GST, JCT, those terms are interchangeable. Uh, the principle behind each of those systems is that the consumer pays some form of consumption tax when they buy a good they paying uh, the consumption tax to, uh, you know to this to amazon and then amazon uh, remits that directly to the officials and uh, there's import vat gst and jct that's applicable when goods arrive in country uh, when it comes to EORI, uh, we know it as an EORI number or EORI number. Uh, an EORI number is very similar to an ACP number, uh, except it just applies to Europe. So again, it's just an import identification number on behalf of the foreign seller uh, or foreign importer so that the government knows who they are. It's just an identification uh, number. But again, uh, in Europe, in the UK, even if the seller has a VAT registration and an EORI number, they still need a local importer to be listed on their customs documentation to take uh, responsibility for their import so that they will clear customs successfully. And then a very important part of that service, you know, which is uh, the service that we're fulfilling, is to make sure that the customs clearance documents look the right way so that import VAT can be reclaimed from the local government. Um, I don't want to go too far into detail about it, but sellers who sell in those countries will know how important that is because the VAT rate is anywhere between 19 and 21% between the UK and Europe. So it's important that they get that back. Now, now if I'm an American seller and now I want to expand to Europe, um, do I need a, a VAT from day one or is it only if I hit a certain amount of sales? And then my secondary question would be, do I do I only get it for where I'm storing my inventory or pretty much one for every country where my inventory is sold, uh, et cetera? So the legal requirement to register for VAT in any European country, and when I say any European country, I'm going to include the UK uh, just as part of this discussion because the rules are the same, okay. um, is driven by the fact that the seller will be storing goods there. So if you're going to be storing goods in any one of those countries, it is a legal requirement to be registered for VAT and have an EORI number. Regardless of um, how much you're, yeah. you're selling. Correct, regardless of how much you're selling. In, in countries like Japan and Australia, uh, there's selling thresholds. So you don't have to register from day one, but you have to register when your annual sales reach a certain amount. Uh, but in Europe, that's that's not the case. Okay, now, do I need a local accountant to be doing this? Like, or how, how, do I, how, do, how do I, as a foreigner, you know, know when and what to, to pay uh, for, for what, what's due? Okay, great. So there's really two ways in which a seller can go go down this route. So the, the simple answer to your question is yes, you need an accountant, a, a an agent that takes responsibility for your uh, periodic filings and your registration. And there's one of two options that a seller uh, one of two options that a seller can can choose. The first is uh, Amazon VAT services. So basically, what Amazon have done is they've white labeled uh, certain providers out there, the likes of Avalara, Basque, and such. Uh, where they will do the registration and filings at a very, very cheap price. In fact, the, the registration, I think, is $250, and the first year of filings is actually free. Uh, the second option, really, is then to choose an independent provider out there. There's, there really are many out there. Um, the, the, it will be a little bit more expensive, but the service offering will be uh, somewhat better than, than the, the Amazon VAT services one. Okay. All right. Um, back to the shipping a little bit. You know, like I said, everybody knows here in America the, the kind of struggles we've been having. 
is it similar in Europe at all? Like, are, are the delays, or, or it's not near as bad as as the delays that we're seeing in the United States? It's not as bad as the United States, and I just think that's by by you know as a as a result of the fact is that it's smaller. Um, you know, the, the last conversation I had, uh, you know, around supply chain problems in the U.S., uh, a guy had made a comment that there were two hundred fifty thousand container backlog at LA port. Um, I know that uh, the LA port staff will put on a 24, pretty much a 24 hour rotational shift to try and get through that backlog. I don't know how far they've gotten uh, through it so far. Uh, in, in Europe, it's not as bad. There definitely have been delays without a doubt because of the supply chain problems being faced uh, out of China and, and in the European ports, but not, not quite as bad as the US. Okay. Now, um, speaking of shipping, you know, I know sometimes you know one of your services that you guys do is, is you help sellers who, who have you know, shipments that, that get stuck, uh, you know, whether it's in customs or other means. When you jump in like that, what do you see as the reason? Like, how in the world did, did, did they get in a bad situation in the first place? How, how did their shipment uh, get stuck? And, and what, what, what are things that, you know, you do to, to, to get it unstuck? Uh, so there's two main reasons. Uh, the, most, the most popular or, or the one that happens the most is because the seller has sent their products to the destination country without an importer of record listed on their documentation. So they would have listed their foreign entity as, a, as the importer and then customs check the, the commercial invoice and say, hey, that's not a, a local entity. That's a foreign LLC entity or wherever else it's based. Um, you need a local importer to, to be listed on your documentation. Uh, the seller will reach out to us and say, listen, I've got a, a, a stuck shipment in German customs, let's say, as an example. If they have a VAT registration and a Niori number, which nine times out of 10, the seller actually does have. And that's really where the misunderstanding comes about, because they think if they have a VAT registration and Niori number, then the shipment will go through. But that's not the case. That just gives them the ability to trade. It doesn't give them the ability to import. So we step in, we uh, liaise directly with the customs broker in, in the, uh, whether it's with the courier or an independent broker, whoever it may be. And then we, we actually prepare the commercial invoice for that shipment on behalf of the seller with our details appropriately listed, submit it, and then the goods clear. The second most popular reason for goods being stuck at customs is product compliance issues. So uh, let's say you sent leather belts to the United States. Um, the United States are pretty strict on what type of leather goods are allowed into the U.S. And there's very certain uh, particular documentation, you know, testing and declaration of conformities and various other documentation that's required uh, to be shown to customs before the goods will be allowed in. Uh, and, and again, you know, sellers reach out to us. We'll say to them, look, you've got a leather product. This is actually what you need. Can you get it to us? If you can't get your shipment returned back home, let's get those those documents in place and then we'll help you send the shipment the next time. Okay, interesting. Now, you know, you've been talking about different strategies and things uh, throughout this episode, but one thing we do here um, is we we have something on the podcast we call the, or the TST 30-second tips. Now, it doesn't have to be 30-second. It could be one minute or two minutes, but what are maybe, you know, two or three, you know, quick-hitting strategies that, that you can give sellers out there for, for what you're expert in, like something that you see sellers make mistakes on or, or maybe a trick uh, about importing that, that some sellers don't know. Anything you want to uh, talk about could be about uh, what to do on a, a South African safari. I don't care. Just what, what are your tips for the uh, for the day? 
if it was a, you know, if I was, if I didn't pursue a career in chartered accountancy, I would have been a field guide or game ranger. So if you want me to talk about safaris, I can talk all day. But <laughs> I I'm, love I'm it. not going to go down. I'm not, <laughs> not going to go down that route. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, Amazon and 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 uh, you know what we see as some tri- tips and tricks. Mm-hmm. I think what would be most valuable to your listeners is really there's two ways in which a seller can grow their e-commerce business or their Amazon business. Uh, the one which is probably the one that people think most about is trying to source or develop new products to introduce into their existing markets. Uh, that can often be a lengthy and administrative process. It requires uh, a negotiation with manufacturers, raw material sourcing, product design, testing, all that type of thing. The second uh, lever of growth is to actually take your existing profitable products, the ones that you know sell well, and introduce them into a new marketplace. Uh, and, you know, uh, that's really where Z comes in. That's our speciality. We see ourselves as the catalyst for global expansion of your Amazon business. We help you get there. And uh, a little a little insight from my side, you know, I've spoken to a couple of aggregators in the space, some of the biggest, and they actually target companies that sell fewer SKUs in more destination countries. It's a much simpler acquisition, much easier to integrate into their systems and uh, they know that the, the products sell well in all of those countries. Um, and, and what supports that argument really is that people think that different countries are very different. Now, they may be very different by geography, by location, by language or by culture, but actually from a consumer perspective, we all pretty much 95% the same. Uh, we like the same goods, we want the same goods for our home, for our phones, for our gadgets, or, you know, all that type of thing, whatever, you know, whatever the uh, cosmetics, whatever it may be. So really, if you have a profitable product in your local market, there's no reason why it shouldn't be profitable elsewhere. Uh, if, if you know Amazon, if you know how to do PPC, if you know how to do your listings, if you know how to take pictures, uh, do the graphics, all that type of stuff, there's really no reason why you shouldn't be, be profitable in another country. And, uh, you know, we can be the, the partner that you need in order to get the, the like you said, the unsexy stuff yeah. uh, sorted and, 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 and taken care of. Okay, so... Um, before we get into how to contact you, um, what are some of the things that people would even want to contact you other than asking about your expertise in, in safaris and things like that? Um, so it really depends. Our our offering is split into three, uh, distinct parts. The first is the product compliance, getting your products legal for sale and legal for import that can be into a new country or even your home country if you'd like. The second core offering is the import of record service, so providing you with the local office in the destination country to facilitate the import and make sure that you can reclaim your import fat back. And then third is the value-added logistics solution. Uh, We've partnered with uh, various courier services and logistics providers who are very well-versed and very experienced in Amazon deliveries. So we will actually coordinate the whole shipment on your behalf so you you can simplify your supply chain um, you know, by, by contacting us, you know, some of the biggest successes we've had is where a seller had seven different suppliers for seven different countries they were selling in. They found us and now they can speak to one person and we can do the, 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 the distribution into all seven countries. And because of the, 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 the volumes that we do with our courier partners and our freight partners, we have uh, volume driven discounted rates. So we'll pass those on uh, to the seller as well. Okay. So um, how can people find you guys on, on the interwebs out there? On the interwebs, uh, so our our, uh, our uh, website is probably the best place. It's www.z.co, so z e e.co. 
uh, for really uh, welcoming us so warmly onto the podcast and and being such a great host. Uh, anyone who's listening to this podcast can uh, email me directly. It's r-a-e-l-l at z.co uh, and I will help you or I'll pass you on to the appropriate person uh, to assist you with your with your inquiry. And because you've listened to the Helium 10 uh, podcast, you can get a 50% discount on the, on, your, on the fixed fee on your first shipment. Uh, just uh, make a note in the query that you do on our website or the email that you send me that you heard about, uh, about us on the, on the podcast, and we'll make sure to, to discount your first invoice. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you for, for joining us. Are, are you planning to come to us for any of the, uh, conferences this year? Like we, we have the, um, you know, there's prosper, uh, that's coming up in March. And then we have a huge one, uh, in September called sell and scale, uh, summit, uh, in Vegas that I hope, uh, you, you can come out to as well. Yeah, so we'll we'll be at Prosper, which is really awesome. So I'm looking forward to to you know sort of seeing you there and, and connecting. Uh, we'll also be at White Label Expo uh, in London, second uh, to fourth uh, of March, um, and then we'll definitely consider the uh, the 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 scale um, event in in September in Vegas. I'll, I'll reach out to our uh, events team and, and get them to start looking into it right away. Awesome, awesome. Make sure to register for our party. We have a big, uh, we have a big uh, party that we're having um, on March 14th at the Prosper Show. You know, you might be too young for this, but uh, one of our musical guests will be Mark McGrath from Sugar Ray. He'll be performing live for everybody there. So if anybody, including you, Raul, and your company want to go to this party, uh, check out the website uh, h10.me forward slash prosper 2022 h10.me forward slash prosper 2022 even if you guys are are not going to register for the prosper event if you're in vegas make sure to register for that party that'll be the party of the entire prosper show and you'll be able to meet myself maybe rile there and and ask him questions in in, in person maybe uh, have him spill some some company secrets depending on how much uh how much alcohol he has consumed that night but uh Come out to that party, guys. H10.me forward slash prosper 2022. All right. Rel, thank you for so much for uh, coming on, and we'll be seeing you at these events coming up. Uh, Brad, thanks so much for, for having us. Uh, it was really great, and we've already registered for your party, so we'll see you there. I love it. All right. We'll see you.